It's good to see you all this morning. So let's pray before we get in the Word. <clears throat> Father, would pray, God, your, your grace upon us in this moment. Father, that we would hear your words, that we would heed your words, that we would be, um, God, those would be found not to be just hearers of your word, but doers as well. As James says, faith without works is dead. And so, Lord, would pray that you might help us, God, to practice these one another's. God, this sermon series has been so practical. God, just been really application in the forefront every time. And so, Lord, would pray that you would help us be the sort of people that you call us to be as a, a New Testament church. God, seeking to love you and seeking to love and serve and honor one another. So help us in these things. Help me now as I preach, just to open your word. God, to speak what it says, not go beyond, not fall short. God, but may I preach the line of Scripture today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this summer I have been taking my hand to painting. Now, not painting with canvas and with, with paint and acrylics and things like that, but I've been painting over this whole summer just pictures of what God calls us to be as a church. Uh, the New Testament has many commands to one another. Um, we should do this to one another. We should love one another, serve one another, and honor one another. And, and what I've done, I've just kind of topically taken a bunch of these one another's and just kind of thrown them together to give us a picture of what a church should be like. And the picture that I painted and that I am painting, because I'm still painting it today, is one in which we, we build one another up. I'm painting a picture of a church where we are praying for one another. I'm picturing a, a church, as I'm painting it week in, week out, where we are, are serving one another and where we are loving one another. I'm painting a, a picture of a church where the, the stranger is welcomed and when all are honored. So we've looked at, we've looked at, right, build up one another, pray for one another, love one another, serve one another, um, show hospitality to one another, honor one another. And last week we looked at forgive one another. And, um, and that's important, I said, because any time a, a church seeks to live together in close harmony, like we're describing, loving one another and serving one another and, and showing honor to one another and building one another up, any time you, you get close, there's going to be friction. There's going to be sin. You are going to sin. You're going to be sinned against. And so forgiveness just needs to be there because sparks will be sure to fly in this church. And sin is sure to be present, and feelings will be hurt, and damage will be done. And the only way that our church will ever approximate what I've been talking about in this, this painting here is that we, are, we have this deep reservoir of forgiveness that we are ready to dispense at any moment, and we do in, uh, in fullness. It's the only way a marriage will last. It's the only way a family will stay together. It's only a church way a church will be unified when forgiveness is practiced often. And so as we continue to paint this portrait today, we're going to have a, another idea which is really important if a church family is going to seek to be together, to live with one another, to live out in community with one another. Um, and I just say, like forgiveness, we looked at last week, that this has to take place if we will find unity among us at Rock Valley Bible Church. You see, because there, there are two ways you can establish unity at a church. First is uniformity, where everyone's the same, everyone believes the same thing, Everyone wears the same thing, everyone says the same thing, speaks the same way, everyone acts the same way. 
the church has a position on everything. From music to alcohol to dating to movies. From clothing to smoking to gambling to speeding. To tattoos and hair length on debt and diet and drugs and drama. All these things all lined up and everyone falls into rank. That's one way to get unity as a church. And at that point you're really not Christians. You are clones. I remember when I was a teenager, there was a Christian rock star. His name was Steve Taylor. And I was playing for my children today the songs that I listened to as a, as a young boy. And it makes some of the songs today not seem so bad. This is a, it's a it's Christian rock is really, really what it was. And uh, his, tong, his song was entitled, I Want to Be a Clone. Any guys know this song? Yeah, <laughs> Chuck. We're the Steve Taylor buddies. I went to a Steve Taylor concert, and uh, Avon went to a Steve Taylor ta- concert as well. And this guy, he like, grew up in the church, and he, he um, um, maybe his dad was a youth pastor, maybe he was a youth pastor, and just saw it. And he, he kind of was, was uh, smashing the church in a satirical way, really good. And he wrote this song, I Want to Be a Clone. It's a satire of how many people right, become Christians, basically become clonized into this church of uniformity. Consider some of the lyrics. I asked the Lord into my heart. They said that was the way to start. Now you've got to the part. I want to be a clone. Be a clone and kiss conviction goodnight. Cloneliness is next to godliness, right? I'm grateful that they show the way because I could never know the way to serve them on my own. I want to be a clone. They told me that I'd fall away unless I followed what they say. Who needs the Bible anyway? I want to be a clone. Their language, it was new to me, but Christianese got through to me. Now I can speak it fluently. I want to be a clone. And he's just talking, and he's identifying something, because many churches, people just kind of fall in line, and, and they become their clones. They become the, like everybody else. And that's one way that you can get unity in church, but obviously that's not what the New Testament calls us to be as a, as a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says there are a variety of gifts in the church, variety of service, variety of activities, and it says that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And, and the idea there is that you have the Spirit of God looking down on people and individually giving people the gifts that they need so as to compose the body in exactly the way that the Spirit desires. Paul pictures the church as a human body with lots of members, some being ears, some being eyes, some being hands, some being feet. Each one has a different function and each one being no less part of the body. We aren't droids. We are all part of a body, all unique with different gifts, different outlooks, different backgrounds. And as God gives different people to church with different gifts, it makes unity of a church sometimes challenging. But that's how unity comes. It comes through diversity. It comes through humility. And it comes today through acceptance. See, we don't achieve unity through uniformity. We achieve unity through accepting one another. My message this morning is entitled, Accept One Another. Now, obviously, I'm not advocating a pluralism in which just anybody can come into church and we accept everybody and Right? We, we fully embrace everybody and what they were doing, regardless of what they believe or how they live. No, nowhere in the New Testament does it advocate that practice at all. There are boundaries to the church. There are doctrinal boundaries. Things you must believe. 
in order to be part of the church. And really what it is, you, you believe in God, right? You believe in the Trinity. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe in the resurrection. Our songs, Ryan, today were so appropriate to that, right? I, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the, we read the Apostles' Creed, right? Just the, the foundational things. God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Just, just the, the focus of the key things that we need to believe. But there are behavioral boundaries as well, not just moral boundaries. You can't be part of the church living in open sin. 1 Corinthians 6 is very clear. He says, he says that all these sins that used to be what you were like, but you're not like that anymore. He says, do you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. See, there's a behavior element as well to being involved and being included and accepted into the church. You can't be involved in immorality and idolatry and drunkenness and be accepted in the church. It doesn't work that way. But Paul says this, such were some of you. But, but you've changed, right? Because you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. So when we talk about accepting one another, I'm not just talking about carte blanche exception of everybody. There's doctrinal boundaries, there's behavioral boundaries. But what I'm talking about accepting one another this, this morning is when the, the boundaries are there, but when someone maybe practices something a little bit different than what you practice or has a little bit different belief than you, not a... Not a belief that's anything outside the scope of Christendom, but it's entirely within the scope of Christendom. Just sees things differently than you do. Maybe behaves, maybe acts, makes choices in lots of different realms. Whether that's in the entertainment realm, whether that's in the use of alcohol, whether that's in your schooling practices, your educational practices. All these different things can come and, Paul says, accept one another in that. So let's go to the Bible, First Romans chapter 14. Our text this morning is going to cover all of Romans 14 and the first seven verses of chapter 15. I hope to read them all. We'll see if that, that happens or not. But the place where I want to begin actually is at the very end because it is the summary of the passage and Paul sums up the main point. That's where I get my one another. So Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. Paul says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Verse 7 right there is where I get the title of my message. Welcome one another. Or as the New American Standard and NIV say, accept one another. Kind of, that's the idea. Welcoming one another just kind of says, hey, give them a handshake. But accept one another. You kind of get this idea of, a, of an embrace. Of um, come on into my world. Yes, I'm accepting you. Um, the King James translates it, receive one another. The same idea. We're welcoming, we're receiving, we're accepting. J.B. Phillips paraphrased it this way, open your hearts to one another. In other words, just, just have an open heart that's open, arms, open heart, ready to receive and accept one another. And that's the idea of this section of Scripture. Verse 7 starts with a therefore, right? It's the end. It kind of is the conclusion of all of it, is that we should accept one another, Welcome into our lives, even if they have some opinions that differ from us. Even if they have some lifestyle convictions that are a little bit different than us. He says, welcome them in. Because we're going to see some different choices and convictions and lifestyles that Paul brings up. And he says, overlook them and embrace them. In fact, that's how Paul begins chapter 14, verse 1. 
As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him or receive him or open your heart to him. Same word, but not to quarrel over opinions. And I say this too many times. People in the church can spend their time arguing and quarreling over opinions and preferences rather than embracing and accepting now, it's okay, certainly, right, to discuss areas where we disagree. And I would argue that it's healthy for a church to do so, right? Well, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? Back and forth, back and forth, right? But, but it must be done always in the spirit of accepting one another. It must be done in the spirit of love, right? We're winning the argument isn't the end goal. We're understanding is the goal and where persuasion may come. But too often, divisions can come as a result of opinion. So like last week. Received a phone call from a good friend of mine. He's out of town and uh, just struggling at a church he's been at. And he's kind of left, gone, been drifting around. And uh, one of the things he's really struggling with is the style of music at this one church. He likes it, but he doesn't like the, he likes the church, but he doesn't like the style of music. And so we were on the phone for over an hour going back and forth about the, the content and the style and the, the volume and the music and the feel, the, the repetition of the words or the hymns or the choruses or the, and all this. You know, you know what I'm talking about, yes? <clears throat> I trust you. You know what I'm talking about. And our phone conversation followed up with some emails. I listened to a podcast, sent him a podcast. He's kind of had some more discussions about it. And, and uh, eventually we reached a point where we just agreed to drop the issue for the sake of, of our unity. And um, I think we're pretty unified and I said, here's my position. He said, no, I don't think we're unified, but it'd take a lot more conversation to work that out, like our hour plus of conversation wasn't enough. And so I just said, you know what, I think it's best. We just let it rest. You know, we, we acknowledge there's whatever, there's some kind of difference in this. And um, it's not an essential issue to split us. And we are great friends and um, have been dear friends for a long time and will continue to do so. But instead of kind of wrangling about this and making this a point, we just said, you know what, we're we're not going to quarrel about these opinions. And that's exactly what Paul says in chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, right? We're not, just not going to quarrel over these opinions. And I tried in my conversation. I, I wasn't quarreling, trying not to. Maybe he was trying not to, but, he, but it, was a, it was a good discussion, a helpful discussion, as it, as it always is. We think and evaluate our, uh, our worship and what we're doing. And Anyway, when Paul brings up this command to accept one another, he brings out two issues that are pertinent to his day, which really aren't so applicable to our day, but, but maybe, but tangentially, they provide some good illustrations for some things that are, are helpful for us today. The first deals with diets, and the second deals with days. So here comes diets in verse 2. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So apparently there were some vegetarians in Rome um, whose practice it was to eat only vegetables. And there were others in Rome who liked their meat. They liked their bacon, they liked their beef, and they believed they could eat anything, and so they did. And, and the background of this is, is, is a bit difficult because Paul doesn't tell us enough about what's going on, but my guess is 
that the issue had to do with the meat in town had been sacrificed to idols because it's exactly the same issue in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. There were Christians, genuine believers of Christ, who had come out of pagan idolatry where they, they couldn't handle this meat that they knew had been sacrificed to an idol. And in their mind, it was, it was tainted. And so they just, they just wanted to separate themselves for the sake of sanctification, separate themselves so as not to defile themselves with this food. And Paul was clear, though, in 1 Corinthians 8.8, 8, that food will not commend us to God. We are no worse if we do not eat or better off if we do. And Paul also knew that, that Jesus had declared all foods clean. But for some reason, even though Jesus had declared all foods clean, even though he taught in Corinth that, that it doesn't help us to eat or not to eat, it's really not, not any big deal, um, it's instructive to see what, what Paul says here to these people. And what's instructive here is what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say this. Hey, guys, you can eat this meat. It's really not so bad. You really can have it. Listen, I'm telling you, it tastes good. Right? You, you, you put it on the, the grill. You fire it up. You get a little charcoal there. You get some smell, maybe some hickory chips. And Man, it, it really tastes good. Listen, it's not going to help your relationship with God. It's not going to hurt your relationship with God. Just eat the meat. Right? When you don't... You are so weak that you can't eat this meat. Just grow up. Be sanctified. He doesn't say that. He's very sensitive to this cultural issue where someone says, no, that's something bad. And I'm going to, in my past, I just want to stay away from that. This person's actually called the weak one in the faith who's actually trying to be very sanctified to say, and I'm not, I'm just not going to go there. Just, I've got bad things in the past. I think about drunkards. They have tasted, they've seen the alcohol, the alcohol is bad for them, and they're going to just, just get away from it. Maybe they're the weak ones who say, I don't even want to touch that because they know of where they might go, and so they want to abstain in a similar way, right? They're trying to abstain here. Uh, I think about my, my own life. Is I've, I've had maybe that much alcohol my whole life, and so never been drunk, never even been close to drunk because I've had just a little bit to taste it, enough to say, when I was in college where everyone's drinking, and, and my, my position is this, is that I think the Bible teaches alcohol, you can drink it, and not, if you get drunk, that's obviously wrong, but my position is, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with it, I'm like, why do I need it, I don't need it after this time, and maybe I'm a weak brother when it comes to alcohol, but that's just, that's who I am, and I'm, whatever, I'm a vegetarian, I guess, to compare that in here, um, but, what? You need to accept me, okay? And I need to accept you because we need to accept one another just regarding a biblical position of, of alcohol. But the issue is you don't try to conform one way or the other, but verse, chapter 14, verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And here's the idea, right? If God has accepted you, then I will accept you. And if God's accepted me, you should accept me. Isn't what it says, right? For God has welcomed him. In fact, this is the great theological reason of who and how we accept people. Look at chapter 15, verse 7 again. I, I kind of glossed over this, didn't feel it. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In other words, right, you think about how God has, has accepted us with foibles and all, 
into his kingdom. And you think about how God has dealt with our weaknesses. How God has been patient with us through those things. In fact, he was patient with us before we came to Christ. Romans 2.4, it is the kindness and patience and forbearance of God that leads you to repentance. And you think then about how gracious God was, that, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And yet God has justified us through faith in Christ. And you, you think about how, how Christ showed His love towards us, God demonstrates His love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God took us in when we were pretty yucky people. It's not that we were all nice and shiny and God takes us in. No, we were pretty yucky and and dirty and God takes us in and and scrubs us clean. Um, For those of you on Bob Clinton's email list, you you see that every now and then. He's a a missionary out in um, Nepal and India. And there are times in which these kids come in from off, literally off the streets, hair matted, they're dirty as all get out, their clothes are all dirty. That's how God takes us. He takes us in dirty. And then they take them into the children's home, these abandoned, neglected children, and they wash them up. And then in a little bit, they're smiling, and God washes us up in Christ. That's what He does. Now, certainly, God calls us to change and walk devoutly towards Him. As Darren read today, Romans 6.11, You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. God calls us to that sort of life. He calls us to a, a completely dedicated and sanctified life, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But here's the thing. God has welcomed us sin and all. And our, our welcome and our approach before God isn't dependent upon our sanctification. And when it comes to Rock Valley Bible Church, the same applies. If God has accepted you in the kingdom, we will certainly accept you at Rock Valley Bible Church. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now again, that doesn't mean you throw doctrine out the window or that you allow any teaching calling itself Christian to come in. Many people think they're Christians. Say, Lord, Lord, let me in your kingdom. He's going to turn them away. Many people profess to be Christians and yet they have no idea what it means that Christ died for them and how they've believed and trusted and have experienced no change in their life. God hasn't accepted that sort of person. But if God has accepted us, then we on a personal level are called to accept those whom God has accepted. And that's what I'm calling you to do. To be receivers of believers. Now, one of the reasons I'm excited to preach through Romans in the fall, I'm going to start and come back from vacation school and things like that in September, I think. I'm going to start the book of Romans. and we, we go through Romans, we're going to just see the sort of fruit that it ought to create in our life. It ought to create this sort of fruit where we are accepting, receiving sorts of people. As we think long and deep and hard about the realities of Romans, of our sin, chapters 1 through 3, and of our, of our justification by faith alone, chapters 4 and 5, of our sanctification, 6 and 7, and of our security in Christ, chapter 8, and of the sovereignty of God in chapters 9 through 11, and then the call to obedience in chapter 12, Right where we would long for God, where we would have a love for others, where we would have an evangelistic zeal that wants to make this gospel known. And one of the things is, we're going to see how accepting we ought to be of fellow believers because we've seen how God has accepted us. And we're not to, not to pass judgment, as chapter 14, verse 3 says. We don't pass judgment on the one that God has welcomed. If it's opinion that's what verse 14 went. Don't quarrel over opinions. about It's not the food. Like God has accepted you. There are bigger things than this, which we'll see later. 
But I think that Paul, the reason why he doesn't say, okay, guys, suck it up, just change, just eat that meat, is because he understands just the, the cultural momentum and difficulty to, to turn that ship of someone who, who, whatever, has some background to some meat, has some background to maybe some music. You know, they're just not going to touch that thing or some other kind of issue in their life that there's a, a cultural issue. And, and Paul, Paul just lets it go. It's okay with Paul that you don't eat. Because changing one's culture and changing one's religious practices is many times very difficult. I mean, just consider Peter. You remember when he was on the roof of the house? He saw a vision, right? The heavens opened up and the sheet came down out of heaven being let down by four corners upon the earth. And, and in the sheet were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter. This is an audible voice of God. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And again, Peter said, no. And the voice again said, eat. And he again said, no. Happened three times. And then it was taken up into heaven. He didn't succumb to the voice of God telling him to eat because the momentum and the push of culture is so heavy upon him. Which, by the way, you've got to be thankful for. Parents, just know that in the training of your children, you train them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, there is a push that you will give them as they transition out the door that, that can be steered wrongly, certainly. But that is this momentum that will protect them from many things. It will protect them. But Peter, leader of the apostles, walked with Jesus for three years, seen the resurrected Christ, heard Jesus speak about declaring all foods clean, and yet... His Jewish heritage was preventing him from exercising his freedom to eat. And in this regard, Peter was weak in faith. Because he didn't believe the voice, but he would never do that. But the reason why God was pushing Peter was because of some greater lesson he was teaching about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the covenant promises. Right? Which we see that later in Acts chapter 10. He goes to the house of Cornelius and, and the gospel comes and Peter says, Oh, now I understand what, right? what, what God has called clean, we ought not to call unclean. And the Gentiles are now sanctified by faith in Christ. And, and that sheet being let down was a picture, but yet it opened up Jews, but, but eating with Gentiles. But even Peter later had some problems, right? That, that he, right, when some Jews came, he, he backed off and didn't eat with Gentiles anymore. These, these debatable issues were there around when cultures collided. But what God did with Peter... He's not calling us to do. He's not demanding us to eat. He's not demanding that I drink alcohol. Rather, Paul speaking in the New Testament church, he says, don't, don't pass judgment before his own master that he stands or falls. For God has welcomed him. And God's calling us to accept one another just as God has accepted us. Even if we have different religious practices. Now, some are weak and won't eat. Others are strong and have the freedom to eat. But Paul says, don't despise one another. Don't pass judgment upon one another. God has accepted you, so accept one another. And it's not that these things, Paul says, are unworthy of discussion. They are. They are worthy of discussion and persuasion. But be careful in your discussions. You don't pass judgment upon those who disagree or don't see things the right way. Rather, accept them. There's the diet. Let's go to the days. 
And in the days, he mixes in diets here, but we kind of get an idea. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here we're talking about days, all right? The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now, it's sort of difficult here to know exactly what Paul is referring to when he talks about days. It could be the Sabbath day. It could be the feast and festival days of the Old Testament. We, we don't really know, but I, I do think the principle is easy to understand. And, and I think the principle is, is there where he says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, is what verse 5 says. And what is particularly interesting here, again, on the Sabbath issue, is not what Paul says, but what Paul doesn't say. Because here's the Sabbath issue, which, by the way, continues with us today. There are, in the Christian church, Sabbatarians who practice the Sabbath on Sunday, okay, transformed a little bit from the Old Old Testament, and there are non-Sabbatarians who don't. And what a great opportunity for Paul to have laid down the axe and said, well, some say one day special, others say don't. Let me tell you what's right. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say we should keep the Sabbath. He doesn't say the Sabbath is nothing. He's kind of silent on this issue. At least with foods, he said, oh, they're not going to help you. Right? Jesus declared all foods clean. We don't know about the days. Instead, he says, be convinced in your own mind. Now, the thrust is this, right? is that, that you're convinced in your mind you need to keep the Sabbath. Wonderful. I'm convinced in my mind that every day is unto the Lord, not just one day special. And you're convinced, and I'm convinced, and we're both honoring God. We should live in harmony with one another, and we should accept one another. And we should not pass judgment on one another, even though they're differing religious practices. And, and uh, show my hand, I'm not a Sabbatarian, though I, I was for a while. And I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But I'm rejoicing in people who say, you know what? I just want to take Sunday and just make it a day of the Lord. And I just want to you know, come to worship. And afternoon, we're going to rest and we're going to enjoy God. And, and maybe some Sunday evening, we're going to have Sunday evening service here. But we're going to go to our small group, right? We're going to be involved in this. Just have a day of just focus on God. That's wonderful. I'm going to applaud that. I'm going to accept you and receive you. And someone who doesn't, what Paul says here, it should go back and forth. But Paul says this, look at verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as written as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. In other words, we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to give an account to him. And, and here's, okay, here's a little secret. You don't have to do the work for God before God does the work, okay? You don't have to play judge before God plays judge. This is not your role. You don't need to be judged. You don't need to play police. Just trust that they're going to stand before God. Now, I say this. It's hard. I mean, when you come to Scripture, see what it teaches... Come to some conviction in your life and walk by those convictions. And then you see other people not living that way. 
it is, it's hard not, not to judge. Okay, so let's go back to my Sabbatarian days. Um, this is probably three years in our marriage, Avon, maybe five years in our marriage, something like that. Inf- heavily influenced by a group of people who believe that the Sabbath still applies today. I'm thankful to God just for the influence of these preachers and these pastors in my life. Just, just uh, you know, can't, can't be thankful enough. Um, and they painted a picture of a Sabbath different than the Old Testament Sabbath. But principle, making Sunday a day dedicated to God, where Sunday morning service and afternoon rest, right? No work allowed, and Sunday evening worship. And I was attracted to the glories of that. Just to think about setting aside a day to, to really worship God and to really focus on that, to spend a day praying and to spend a day just reading God's Word and reading other Christian literature. And every week, finding a day in which to rest in Him. And every week, finding, finding this day in which I could just forget the troubles and the trials of the past six days and the labor that that involved, but just a day to really focus on God. A refreshment, an oasis in your life, as you will. God's day. And um, we enjoyed that. But here's what I found. As my convictions about this day ran deeper, and it was never, it never fun. I just said, "Oh, we got to keep this." But I think it was more of a spirit that just says, "Let's let's do this." Kind of kind of drifting in, but but I found this. I found myself to be highly judgmental. I would see people going to the store, and and pity them. I I, I would see people out mowing the lawn. My neighbors out mowing the lawn, and get angry. Because they're defiling God's Sabbath day. They're disobeying the command of God. And here in my own self-righteousness, I was doing this. And, and I totally missed God's heart. If I'm going to keep the Sabbath, you're going to keep the Sabbath. Don't miss verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment of God. And I just know in my mind, I kind of had that conviction. And I saw the fruit of what it developed in me. And that was awful. And so if your mind is one of uh, Sabbatarianism, I say, amen, keep it. But the warning of my experience is that you will be judgmental. And, and the passage here speaks about non-judgmentality. It says, accept your brother. And realize the Sabbath issue hasn't been resolved in the Scripture. Could have been resolved, but wasn't. It's intentionally left open. So you live to the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I would encourage you, right, to work hard, to understand just what the Scripture says and where your conviction is and where opinion starts, right? When it's just your opinion and when it is, thus saith the Lord. Because oftentimes it is our opinion and we think it's a thus saith the Lord and that's where we get into problems. And then we we see that we won't won't accept people unless they bid our, our doing. And so work hard to separate between the essentials and the non-essentials. Essentials. For Paul, listen, essentials are huge. I mean, we're in Romans 14, but he's had 13 chapters of stuff which are like non-negotiable, whether that's sin and justification, sanctification, security and sovereignty, and, and walking as living sacrifices before God. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Just give yourself all to God, he says. Completely. Right? And then he brings up these issues, like eating meat on the Sabbath day. And he says they don't fall into the essentials category. 
And I just say this, may God give us discernment to know the differences between essentials and preferences. That is so important. It's important for us regarding accepting one another to understand what's essential and what's preference. It's interesting here in verse 13, Paul begins to share his own beliefs and his own convictions. Puts them in perspective how we should deal with these things in the church. He says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. There again comes that judgment, right? But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, think about this. Paul's conviction, in fact, it's in the Lord, I think it's true, is that there is nothing that's unclean. You can eat what you want. But he said there's a bigger issue at stake here. It's that your brother doesn't have that same conviction that I have. That's the issue. The brother's the issue. The issue isn't the issue. You got it? The issue isn't the eating. The issue is your brother. And so... Look at your brother. It's not the diet or the days. It's your brother is the issue. And so as you come up with some of these convictions, like, like for, for me, the Sabbath isn't the issue. The issue is my brother, and I'm, I'm just co- judgmental coming down harsh on him, like, like wrongly, rather than saying, no, they're free to worship how they want to. The issue is the brother, me, and love. In, in fact, look here how, how love and building up and these one another's just kind of mingle their, their, their way into the rest of this chapter. Verse 15. He says this, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, because I'm free to eat, right? It's nothing. But if your brother's grieved, you are no longer walking in love. Right? And there it is, love one another. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil, because you've used it in a way to unlove your brother, not love your brother. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. There he goes, making peace, mutual upbuilding. We we looked at build up one another. We're, We're talking some about peace. We're talking about welcoming one another. The same sorts of ideas. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever of doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." And I trust you see what Paul is saying here amidst all this stuff. This is we overview this and try to bring this to to an end, is that your convictions, if they're not biblical, but on the opinion side, ought to take second place to love for the brothers. You don't need to judge them. What you need to do, you need to love your brothers. You need to build your brothers up. Though Paul was convinced he could eat anything, that was his conviction. He was taught even in the Lord, verse 14. He also understood that others didn't have this conviction, verse 20. So he walked in love. 
And so how do you deal with someone who maybe doesn't see things the way, the way you see it, and you think you're more sanctified, you think they have some growth in this area? I just say this, be patient with them. God's patient with us. Aren't you glad God's patient with you in your sanctification? Amen. Be patient with them. Wait for them. Just pray for them. But receive them. See, this is the way to change people is through reception and love and grace. That's how God does it. I mentioned already before, Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness and patience and forbearance of God that leads us to repentance. Not the hellfire preacher who points his, his finger. It's the, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so be patient, right, with the weak because... We need to seek to please them. We need to help them. We need to have other focus like Jesus. That's what verses 1 through 7 in chapter 15 are about. It's about this other-centered focusedness of Jesus. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us, each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Again, this external focus it's not about me and my issues it's about love and building others up for christ did not please himself jesus when he came to earth wasn't about him it wasn't about him and as we walk and we try to do this community together as we try to make this painting come alive of what i've been talking about this summer it's not about us not about me it's about other people seeking to help them here's the example of christ he did not please himself but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, right? He took our sin on the cross that we deserve, the, the reproaches, the, the scorn, the ridicule. For what I was written for former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And, and Paul is, is sort of uh, finishing here a little bit, but just talking about how may it all come to glory of God. May the church be unified. May we be building one another, one another up. May there be harmony. May we with one voice worship and glorify God. And the only way that's going to happen is if we practice this acceptance of one another. And then he goes on then to talk about, in, in 8 and following, how the, how the Gentiles are fellow heirs and sharers in this great gospel. So let, let me just close with one illustration and then we'll, we'll just pray about some things that might be dealing with in your life. But I, I want you to think about, about what happened in the New Testament church where you had Jewish people who lived their lives all separately like. Okay, these are, are like your homesteading homeschoolers, okay, where the Jewish people, like, like all off on their own. Like, we're not touching anything because that's all bad, right? With no internet, no TV, no telephone, no media, no nothing, no newspapers, no print. And, and I, I could go on to describe their dress and things, but I'm just saying, they're, that's who the Jews were. And then the Gentiles, who are they? They're like your skateboarders, right? They're like the guys kind of hanging out with their, their tank top shirts like that, kind of with their, their pants pulled down, right, where you see their underwear and their blood crotch goes all down here. Like, those are the Gentiles. And if you think, I could go worse than that, okay? 
I mean, you think about Corinth when the temple prostitutes would come down every night into Corinth to ply their trade. Just living for the world. And now God saves them. God saves the Gentiles by faith and trust in Christ alone. And God saves the Jew. The Jews have got to hang up. They got all these religious scruples, and they're so bad out there. But they're realizing, if Paul's got to talk about it, the Gentiles are our heirs now. And, and the Gentiles, you're like, whoa. Okay, now try putting those people together in a church. How do you think that's going to happen? Conflict, strife, practices. Like, like what do we do at our potluck this afternoon? We're going to serve meat? We're going to not serve meat? What are we going to do? Is it going to be kosher food? Is it not going to be kosher food? How are we going to do that? What about language? Huge language issues. And we're racially not so diverse here. But you, you think about the black-white divide here in Rockford. And, and that's like nothing. We're all Americans. The difference between that is teeny. But the difference between Jews and Gentiles is so massive. And Paul is saying this. Overcome it by realizing you Jewish people realize these Gentiles are come by faith in Christ and God has accepted them. And you Gentiles re- realize that these separatistic Jews, God has accepted them too. And so you can accept one another and have this unified, one accord church together glorifying God. Well, let me just close the famous statement of Augustine. He says this, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And charity means love. Okay? In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity, in all things, love. And I, I think that really brings up and captures the heart of the Apostle Paul in this text. So let's, let's bow our heads. just want to lead us into some, some discussions, some thoughts just before God. May, maybe as, as you've been listening to this message, perhaps God has been convicting. I hope God, there's one issue on your mind that is big where maybe you feel a judgmental attitude towards other people. Maybe you feel uh, um, an, an arrogance in your own righteousness. Maybe you struggle with how other people are working out their faith. I would encourage you to just identify that area in your life, whatever that is. And, and, and this, I trust, could be different for all of you. Whether it's the issue I, I mentioned of alcohol usage or non-usage of alcohol, people you know who are professing Christians who drink or those who don't drink, and we pray that you would be one who is accepting one another. Maybe it has to do with entertainment and entertainment choices and what, what you're choosing to put in, in your heart and in your mind, and maybe you see what other people are putting in their hearts and their mind, and you're, you're questioning just why would you do that? Why would you put that filth in your head? I just would encourage you, even right now, just to just to reflect and realize you need to accept one another and trust God for the sanctification process. Or maybe it's how people dress. Maybe maybe you can't. Why? Why do they dress that way? Don't they see what modesty should be like? Don't they? If that's your issue. I pray that you would would help and be one who accepts one another. I mean, there's just a different, a different level, a different understanding. 
Maybe there's a different culture. Maybe there's a different... Maybe your issue has to do with homeschooling. We have lots of homeschooling families here. We homeschool. But are we judgmental upon other people who aren't? Or are you judgmental of homeschoolers? Is that are you jealous? Just let's, let's accept one another and welcome one another. Maybe there's family. Maybe, maybe family, how, how people run their family. Maybe family time. You, you don't understand it. Maybe, maybe different customs where they don't eat together as a family. Maybe there's a, an issue. You're just stumbling over that. And I just accept one another. People are seeking to live how they will before the Lord. They're going to stand before the Lord. So if it's family, just gather together and trust. Whether, whether it's, well, it's holidays, how, how the 4th of July is celebrated, and how patriotic some people are, and how country-proud people are, or how country-bashing people are. We, we pray, just even if that's your issue, that you're a ball humbug. If you, whatever, if that's your issue, may you over, overlook that. Maybe other things like hair length or cosmetic things like tattoos or, or makeup on kids or earrings. Earrings and guys. There's all these, maybe, maybe there's, there's some judgmental things there. And I, just, I trust you now, Holy Spirit, to be in our hearts. So we read earlier, I believe in the, the Holy Spirit. God, I believe in the Holy Spirit, God, to pierce deep into our hearts. God, I, I read in prayer meeting this morning that the king's heart is channels of water in the hand of a Lord. And he steers it wherever he wants. And so, Lord, we pray, oh God, that our hearts are in your hands. I pray you'd steer our hearts as is appropriate to these things, that we would be a church who welcomes one another in genuine, real Christian love. Not plasticky faith, not just surfacey, but deep, deep love. Help us in our weakness where we're not like that. God, help us to overcome that, that we might paint this tapestry, kind of a church that's fulfilling these one another's, building one another up and serving one another and loving one another and praying for one another and honoring one another and receiving one another and accepting one another and forgiving one another. God, may, may that be the picture of Rock Valley Bible Church and help us this week to think through what it means to accept one another. God, these things are in your hands. I pray that you will accomplish your task through your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.